Thank you so much, praise team. Appreciate that so much. Um, you know, I was just thinking as I was, <clears throat> as we were singing that song, how valuable it is for us to, uh, when we're worshiping the Lord like that, to uh, maybe sometimes we ought to just close our eyes and think about, think about the throne around heaven, the throne and, and the angels around heaven. And I just, I remember as a young boy being in worship, and I was in a very traditional church. I mean, this was the kind of church that when you went to church, you always put on your best. You had a, a tie on, and um, you know you were always dressed up, and and the, and the music was more of a uh, a traditional style with choir and orchestra and that sort of thing. And but I remember as a young boy gathering together with all of those people in that really huge church, and. I would close my eyes as we were singing the hymns and I would kind of visualize myself before the throne of God. The throne of God that is surrounded by angels and the elders and they're bowing down and they're worshiping the Lord. And, and I don't know if you have trouble maybe when we're worshiping to get your mind in that, in that reference, but I encourage you to do that because I got to tell you something, it doesn't matter how many people are there, you can do that with just one person in your, you know, in your quiet room uh, where you do your quiet times, you know, uh, and, and just think of yourself as being before the holy presence of a glorious, omnipotent, all-loving creator who gave his son to die on the cross for you, who shed his innocent blood I want you to think about that because the Bible says right now the Son is seated at the right hand of the Father and they are surrounded by incredible creatures and angels and there is glory. And every moment they cry out and say, Holy, holy, holy art thou, Lord God Almighty. And it is a moment and a place of worship. And I have a feeling that when we're gathered, whether we're here on Sunday or whether you're uh, together with, with loved ones or you're by yourself in your room, I believe that when you are worshiping the Lord, you join that chorus of worship. And I just have to tell you, we may not have, uh, hey, we don't have anything fit for the Lord of glory. But we can certainly lift our hearts, raise our hands and praise Him and offer up a hallelujah. And, and i got to tell you something. If you'll make a practice of doing that. And not everybody is, I know, not everybody's comfortable being expressive. But uh, I'm just telling you, you're, you shouldn't be so worried about yourself. You should be worried about whether the Lord is receiving that praise and that worship. And uh, I'm just so grateful we have a praise team and those that lead us in that. And they're not afraid to get up here and worship. So that's good. Well, this morning, I, I, if you're like me, uh, this past week and a half or so has been, man, it has been an incredible time of concern. You know, I've been watching what's going on overseas and, you know, and, and I guess it was, I believe it was October the 7th when the brutality occurred and, and it was just, uh, it's mind boggling to think about the things that were done my understanding is that uh, the terrorist group, they not only did they have a lot of supplies, but they were also amped up on some sort of amphetamine that uh, they took to, I guess, just bring out the rage in them. Uh, just so many things that happened. And, and you know, we're kind of, if you're like me, your, your mind and your thoughts are kind of thinking, man, what is next? What is going on? I got to tell you something. We're in this series of the end times and we're talking about prophetic things and, and we're going to get to more of that. But today I want to talk with you about this war that's going on. And, and I want to remind you that one of the signposts of the return of Jesus Christ is what's happening in the nation of Israel. What is going on over there? If you look at this little parcel of land that is about the size of New Jersey. It is amazing that the world just seems to revolve around the nation of Israel and what is going on over there. It's amazing to me. And the reality is if you look at this nation and you 
see what's going on, it, it is just a reminder to us that, that God has planned everything out. He knows what's going to happen. He's aware of it. And right there in the center of the world is the nation of Israel and what God will resume doing through that nation. And so it's important for us to think about that this morning. I was really surprised to see and to hear about all of the things that were happening over there. And then I was, I was not just surprised, I was mortified about how some people have responded to this. The thought that there would be people in America, in our universities... Our Ivy League universities, these are the places where diplomats are trained, where presidents come from, places like Harvard and Columbia University, places like that. And there are people who are actively promoting and agreeing with what Hamas did and the slaughter of innocents. It just, it it, it mortifies me. It, It tells me there's something wrong in our world when people can celebrate Brutality like that. Listen, when there's a just war going on, innocents die. There's no doubt about that. But when when people do things like were done last week, it's just, it's horrible. It's unconscionable. And I I see that that people have, have been promoting, and then you have have groups that, that promote these things. And, and it, just, it just breaks my heart because there seems to be a group of people whose minds are, are completely deceived by the enemy. And, and it just reminds me that there's a great deception going on in our world today. And I know there's some people that are not even clued in at all. They probably don't even know what I'm talking about other than, you know, there's a war going on. But, but you know, it really disturbed me when I saw the pictures of that. And I have a, a picture here that I want to show you. It's a picture that was taken on October the 12th. And it's a rally that is taking place in Columbus, Ohio. And there's a caption there that's being held up on that, uh, on that, that banner. And it says, from the river to the sea. In Arabic, it reads, Min al-nar ila al-bar. From the river to the sea. It is a slogan that was adopted by the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization. I believe it was back in 1964 after their founding. And it's been used in various ways. But from the river to the sea, it is a a phrase that that is used now and adopted by Hamas, the terrorist group supported by Iran, which is ancient Persia. And this phrase literally means that they desire for that whole region, from the Jordan River all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, to be free of any Jewish person. In other words, the Jews should be exterminated, the last one. That is part of their charter as an organization. And we understand that the leadership and the terrorists that comprise Hamas are not the only people in the Gaza Strip. There are many in the Gaza Strip, the Palestinians, who do not necessarily subscribe to what Hamas is doing. And I'm sensitive to that. I'm sensitive to the fact that there are a number of Palestinians who are living on, uh, the, the, on the, the, the West Bank, and they do not subscribe to what's happening with Hezbollah in the north, which is another terrorist organization. There are some people who are caught between, but I have to tell you, uh, when, when the Gaza Strip, when control of the Gaza Strip, which is right on the Mediterranean Sea, And it is the western part of of Israel. But the Gaza Strip, it was under control by Egypt for a number of years. But Egypt decided to turn it over to the people there. And they had a government called the Fatah Fatah government. And in the more recent history, they actually voted that Hamas would be the governing authority where they live. Now, I'm not naive to think that all the Palestinians voted for that. 
nor would I be surprised to learn that the election itself had been rigged. But what I do know is that there are a group of people in this world who have dedicated themselves in part because of politics and in part because this is what their religion teaches. They have dedicated themselves to the destruction of the nation of Israel and to every last Jewish person that walks on this earth. Not only that, they have dedicated themselves to the destruction and the death of people they call infidels, which would be you and I as Christians. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about this later on in this series, but what I want to stress to you this morning is that, first of all, not every person, like I said, that is, uh, that is in Palestine today. Not every person subscribes to this, and so we want to be sensitive to that fact, but it should be abundantly clear to us as well that there are a group of people who really, how do you live with those who would destroy your family? How do you live with those? How, what if you had someone in your neighborhood, a family in your neighborhood that was going into people's homes and taking their babies and killing people just indiscriminately? How would you live with that? Well, th- there's not a way to live with that which is why God allows us to pursue a just war in the event that something like that happens because we are to be a people who turn the other cheek, but we are also to protect the innocent. And so, unfortunately, it means sometimes there is going to be lethal opposition. Well, as we look at this this morning, I want to just, you know, the thing that has been just puzzling me, and I've been thinking about this all week long, the past two and a half, half weeks or, or two weeks or so, and I, I watch these protests, and I see what's going on, and, and I hear the arguments. The reason that we're doing this is because this is our land, and, and we, the, you know, these folks, the, the group from Hamas and, and many of the Arab nations and, and the, 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 the Palestinians, they say, this is our land. You know, it belongs to us, and Israel needs to get out. And they make the argument that, that Israel is, a, is an occupier. And isn't it interesting that in our society today, there's a movement that says there's the oppressed, and then there's the, they're the oppressor. And we're teaching our children things that are destroying their lives. You know, we're teaching them to think of themselves as either oppressed or oppressor. Or we're teaching them to hate the different genders or different races. And, you know, I just believe that Satan is having a field day as he's got people that are so confused about what's right and what's wrong. And it is totally destructive. But the question has popped into my mind often. Where, how do I know that Israel as a nation has the right to exist. And again, I know that, that there are innocent people all around, and, and yet, can I say unequivocally that Israel has a right to the land that they have? And today I want to affirm that. And I want to affirm it from not just from a personal perspective, but I want to affirm that from what the Holy Scriptures teach us. And so this morning, I want to invite you to join me as we read Genesis chapter 12. Please turn to Genesis chapter 12. I want to read a portion of this, and then uh, we'll have prayer, and then I'm going I'm to walk you through uh, what the Bible has to say about this land of Palestine. Genesis chapter 12, and I want to ask you to just stand with me for just a moment as we recognize this is God's Word. Genesis chapter 12, beginning with verse number 1. This is, this is the call of Abram. We know him as Abraham because God changed his name, and God called Abraham out of a pagan culture to be a friend of God and the father of our faiths. All right, Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And then let's skip down to verse number 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Let's go ahead now and, and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it is a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. We thank you, O God, that your word gives us directions for how to live our lives so that we can live clean and pure lives. We thank you, O God, that your word provides a perspective and an assurance so that we can have hope and we can have peace in the midst of chaos. We thank you, O God, for your holy word that revealed to us our need for a Savior and the revelation of Jesus Christ as that Savior and that Lord, our Messiah. And Father, I pray now you'll bless us as we look at your word. In Jesus' name we pray now. Amen. This morning as we look at God's word, I just want to say that I'm certain of this, just according to what the scripture says. And this morning, we're going to be looking at two reasons why the land belongs to Israel, while Israel has a right to be in that land. I have to tell you that Israel was out of that land for a very long time. There were a few folks that were there, just a remnant, but they were scattered all over the world. And after World War II, the, 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 the nation, the United Nations, and, and some of the nations that are, uh, that are in the world today made it a point to provide a homeland, to, to open up the, the way for the Jewish people to be regathered in Jerusalem and in Israel. And when you think about it, six million Jewish people were exterminated during World War II. And, you know, the, the nations of the world recognized that. And at least many of the nations decided that it was time for something formal to be done. And so in 1948, the, the, the Star of David was raised. And, and this group of people who had been assembling prior to that, even gathering in Israel, they had been given an opportunity. And, and as a result of that, all the nations around, uh, around Israel, including Egypt and Saudi and Jordan and all of these nations went to war against Israel, but Israel survived that in 1948. And, and you know, it's been kind of conflict after conflict there ever since. Many years ago, I was talking to my dad about this. This must have been sometime in the, in the uh, late 70s because that was during the Iran hostage crisis and I was a senior in high school. And, and I asked my dad, uh, who was a veteran of World War II. He was in the South Pacific as a Marine. He saw a lot of action, and he was probably, I'm, I'm just going to say from my perspective, he was the most gentle, humble man I ever knew. And for me to even think about him being in a Marine in World War II, it was just unbelievable to me. But I asked him one time, I said, Dad, these people are fighting all the time. What in the world, uh, what, 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 what do you think needs to happen? I'm not going to tell you today exactly what he said, but he was very pessimistic about anything being able to bring peace to that area. I really believe that there will never be a lasting peace in that area until the Lord returns. I know there will be a short time of peace when the Antichrist comes because the Bible's clear that he makes a peace pact with Israel for seven years, but he breaks it three and a half years in. So you just watch Israel because when we see these things happening, we know that our redemption draweth nigh. But, but how do I know? How can I affirmatively say that I believe that Israel has a right to be in that land? Let me just, first of all, begin by saying that the, Israel, that the land belongs to Israel by divine covenant. 
Now, what I want to do this morning is take you to some verses of Scripture, and we're going to bounce around a little bit, and I think they probably will even have some of these verses on the screen for you. But first of all, look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We read that passage, and God promised in this passage that he would bless uh, Abraham, and in verse number 2, I will bless you and make your name great so that you may be a blessing. And then there's the warning that he would bless those who bless Abraham and his descendants, but he would also curse those that curse Abraham. And then at verse number seven, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. There's the first recorded promise of God's covenant of land to the offspring of Abraham. Now, if you will, just turn over just a little bit further and Go to Genesis 15. Look at Genesis 15. Genesis 15, and I want to begin reading in verse number 7. Genesis chapter 15, verse number 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these things, and, and, and then he cut them in half. And, and just to give you a little bit of uh, understanding about this, in the ancient world, they would seal a covenant by taking these innocent animals, they would cut them in half, and then the, the two parties that were agreeing to the covenant would walk between these, these animals that had been split in half. And the idea was that we're in agreement about this, and if anyone violates this agreement, if one of us does, then may we be cut in half as these animals are. And so God decides to show this to Abraham with this kind of covenant. And so in Genesis 15, if you'll look down to verse 17 now, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, look up here for just a moment. The Hebrew people, the Jewish people, for them, the new day starts at sundown. You and I count the new day <laughs> when the sun rises, but for them, the new day starts at sundown. And so that's why we just see when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. What a sight. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All of these people were in the land at that time. But God tells Abraham, who does not yet have an heir, that, his, that that land will be his and his descendants. Now go over to Genesis 17. Genesis 17, verse number... Let's start with verse number 18. Because now Abraham has a son. He has a son that was born to him by Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. And God has promised Abraham that he will have an heir to the covenant, but it's not going to be Ishmael. So here's a pleading father in verse number 18, and here's how this dear man Abraham say, speaks to God, and he says, it says, And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him, 
And you might want to underline these last few words as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But don't you just love that when somebody starts telling you something wonderful and then they say, but it's like, you know, you come home and and your, your son or your daughter, one of your kids is saying something wonderful, and then he says, but, and your heart begins to beat. Uh-oh, what now? Or your husband or your wife is saying something, and they say, but. Or your employer says, you're doing a great job, but. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I guess it was last week, I think Jonathan was, we were having a dinner at the table, and Jonathan was telling us the the uh, the story or the story or the meaning behind that idiom and wait until the second shoe drops something like that, and the idea is that uh, I believe and I'm not sure exactly when this happened. Jonathan will have to remind me, but apparently if you were living somewhere and there was uh, if you're living in an apartment or maybe you're in a city and there's apartment below and apartment above, uh, the the phrase you have to wait until the second shoe drops. Have y'all heard that before? The second, you wait till the second, you haven't? Well, the idiom means that when somebody gets home from work, they're kicking off their first shoe, and the noise is not over till they kick off the second shoe. The second shoe drops. Well, that's where we are now. The second shoe is dropping. The Bible says, I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Again, I understand there are a lot of people who believe that Israel does not have a right to be where they are. They will say they just it was just a man-made effort after World War II to, to put them in that place. But how do I deny the fact that God's word makes an everlasting covenant with not Ishmael. And by the way, I think you probably knew this, but the Islamic people, the Muslims, they cite Ishmael as their, as their uh, he, he's their, their for forefather. And they believe that the blessing came through Ishmael. But God says the covenant is not through Ishmael, but it is established with Isaac. Let me just share this with you real quick like this morning. The Bible, the book of Moses was, was written thousands of years before Christ, okay? The book of Quran, which is the book that the Muslims follow, was not written until after 622 A.D., and why I say that is because in the Quran, it teaches that the blessing comes through Ishmael. But the reality is, when you look at the Quran, just another reason why we, we think it's a perversion, not only because the words were given to Muhammad from what he called an evil spirit, a jinn, and that ought, to be, that ought to be a warning to anybody right there, but also because it takes some of the Old Testament and it rearranges so that Ishmael is the child of promise. All right, let's go ahead and look at Genesis 35 now. The land belongs to Israel. By divine covenant, Genesis chapter 35. God now is uh, talking to Jacob. And I want you just to remember now, Abraham, he had two sons, one by Hagar, and then the other one was born miraculously through Sarah. And that was Ishmael and Isaac. And Isaac had some sons too. And, uh, and, and his sons, he had uh, two sons. Anybody know their names? One of them was Jacob and the other was who? Esau. Esau. So he has two sons and, uh, and you'll remember the story that Esau despises his birthright. And, and of course, uh, he, he sells it to Jacob for a bowl of porridge and by the way, or a bowl of soup. By the way, let me just say quickly this morning, Please, 
Don't give up your hope in the Lord for something temporary that satisfies your stomach or your flesh. And that's exactly what Esau did. He despised his birthright. He sold it away. And so Jacob now has, and, and again, Jacob was a deceiver too, but Jacob got the birthright. But when Esau found about it, he got so mad he wanted to kill Jacob. And so Jacob knows that his brother is going to murder him, so his mom is concerned for him. And so she says, Jacob, I want you to go to your uncle and your cousins. So Jacob now is on the run from Esau. And it's been a cold, lonely, quick run for him. He lays down at night. He puts his head on a rock. And he goes to sleep, and he has a dream. And the Lord appears to him. And I want you to notice in Genesis 35, if you'll look at verse number 12, what it says. God now is speaking to Jacob. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac... I will give to you and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Divine covenant. Let me also just say that the Bible tells us that Jacob decided that he would build an altar to the Lord there and that was at a place called Bethel. That's a good, uh, a good example for us that when we have disobeyed the Lord, and we are on the run, so to speak, and we are dogged by that sense of that guilt before God, and we have to lay our head on a rock. We might be in a low place, and we're at night we're by ourselves, and we're laying our head on a rock to sleep. It might be a good idea for us then just to turn back to the Lord, confess our sin, repent of it, and let God heal us. And then notice that Jacob... He made an altar there. He worshiped the Lord. I got to tell you what, that's sometimes what we need to do. We need to turn back to the Lord because blessings come to those who repent of their sin. Genesis chapter 35, 12 says that God promised that land. Now let's go to Exodus chapter 33. We got all the way to Exodus now. We're out of Genesis. We're in Exodus 33 near the very end of that book. And Moses now is in the wilderness with the people. They're gathered at, at Sinai. Just as a reminder to you that Moses was miraculously uh, saved at birth because Pharaoh had decided that he wanted to kill all of the babies, the male babies, because the Israelites were becoming too prosperous and too plenteous in Egypt. But Moses was protected. And so now Moses has led the people out of uh, out of Egypt, and they're headed back toward the promised land, toward Canaan. And look what it says in Exodus chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God didn't swear it to Ishmael. He swore it to Isaac. God didn't promise the land to Esau. He promised it to Jacob. He says, I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. God was upset with the people of Israel there because of their rebellion. And, but he did promise that they would go into the land and that God would drive those people out. Now, do me a favor and go up just a few verses above that where you just were. And uh, excuse me, not, not there, not, not at that point. Let's... Uh, Just when you, when you look at that, yeah, wait a minute. Yeah, go up just to, no, that's not it. I'm sorry. Anyway, in Exodus 33, God again promises that he's giving the land to the people of Israel. 
And I want you to notice that he promised them that they would go to a land flowing with milk and honey, and it would be a land that uh, was already inhabited by a certain group of people. Now, now this is the point that I would like to make about that. You know, when you're in a land that's flowing with milk and honey, and certainly we are in a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And we could be just like the Canaanites and these other, uh, these other tribes that live there. But you know, God could turn us out anytime He wants to. And the danger is that if we do not recognize the goodness of the Lord and give Him the honor that is due His name, there's no reason why God would have to keep blessing us with so much in this world. I mean, these people, the Canaanites, and these people were, were a vile people. And because of their nature of immorality, which it goes, I mean, they, they were, you think it's bad now. It was bad back then, too. And God said, I've had enough of this, and I'm going to turn them out. And so God decided to give that land to Abraham and his descendants. So what am I saying to you? Obviously, I'm saying that I believe that Israel has a right to be in the land because of the divine covenant that God made with Abraham. And the Muslims will say, well, the child of promise was Ishmael, so the land belongs to us. But the Bible is so clear that it's not through Ishmael, it is through Isaac. Okay? All right, so that's the divine covenant. But there's another reason why I think that the land belongs to Israel. And that is because of the prophetic utterance. Take your Bible, if you will, and let's take a look at one of the, one of the most famous Old Testament prophets. Let's go to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31. When you're looking at the Old Testament prophets now, remember that God sent the prophets to Judah and to Israel, Israel, the northern kingdom. He sent them to them because their people were going wayward. They were, they were going the wrong direction. And because of that, God was warning them that he was going to punish them. And then Jeremiah, Jeremiah has been telling the king and telling the leadership of Israel that they are going to be overrun by the king of Babylon. They're going into prison. And for his word from the Lord, they put him in prison. They mistreated him. And, but he kept saying, look, I'm sorry. I, you know, Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. He really did not want to share the message, but he had to. And there was a fire burning in his heart. God would not let him alone. But, but he delivered this message over and over again that you're going into prison and in, but in Jeremiah chapter 31, he reveals something else to us in verses 5 and 6. Notice what it says in verse number 5. He's now speaking. God is speaking, and he says to Israel, Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit, for there shall be a day when the watchman will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Arise, and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. Jeremiah says, You are going into captivity, but God has promised that there will be a day when you will be back in the land. Jeremiah chapter 31, look at verse number 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. Verse 12, they shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. And they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord. I believe that that prophecy speaks to us about Israel regathered in the land, worshiping the Lord, the Messiah. It will happen in the millennial reign of Christ. Look over, if you will, at Jeremiah chapter 32. Again, the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 32, verse number 36. Just a few pages over. 32. 36. 
It says this, Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say, it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Look at this, verse 37. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety. You know, the nation of Israel has been scattered all over the world. They were scattered in the time of Jeremiah and the prophets. They were scattered in the New Testament. I mean, there were a few Jews that remained in, in the area, but they were pretty much scattered all over the world. You'll remember that, that, uh, that King Azaharis provided for them uh, as he... And we'll talk about that, but also uh, King Xerxes of Persia, he released them to come back to the promised land. And Nehemiah and Esther, they rebuilt, or uh, Ezra rebuilt the temple and the wall. And, and they've been back and forth. And then the Romans come along and the Romans scatter them. And the Jews have been all over this world. That's why they're called the wandering Jews in history. But God promised that though he had scattered them, he would bring them back to the land. Take your Bible, if you will, and go to Ezekiel chapter 11. Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. It's not too far. Ezekiel chapter 11, another prophet of God that reminds us that God has promised the land to the people of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 11, let's take a look at verse 14. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, your brothers, even your brothers, your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, all of them are those of whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, go far from the Lord. To us, this land is given for a possession. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, though I removed them far off among the nations and though I scattered them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the, in the countries where they have gone. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the people's and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. God said it. God promised it through the prophets. Ezekiel chapter 37 tells us that, that one day the valley of dry bones will reassemble and come back together and we recognize the prophecy fulfillment of the valley of dry bones rising up and becoming a people again when Israel raised up the star of David in 1948. Now, I know there are a lot of people in this world who have been taught that the Jews should not be in the land. But I can only tell you as a pastor when I read God's word, it looks pretty clear to me that he desires for them to be there. And I, you know, and when we get to that point to where we say, okay, so you've made a case for this. And by the way, I'll be talking about some of the religious reasons for this and some of the, the reasons why um, based on heritage and based on people groups that the Jewish people are supposed to be there. But, but today, I want to just bring this application home to you. First of all, I think as a result of this, we should support Israel. The Bible says in this passage, Genesis chapter 12, verse number 1, that God promised them promised Abraham that he would make a great nation of them. And verse number three says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. 
You know what's interesting and fascinating to me? When, when Abraham wanted to have a child and he resorted to fleshly means, he listened to Sarah. Sarah said, come on in and, 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 and stay with my, uh, my, 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 my handmaid, Hagar, and, and you can have a child through Hagar. And, and of course, Sarah messed up when she did that. Listen, guys, you know what? Listen to good sense. Don't listen to nonsense, okay? But anyway... Hagar had a son, Ishmael, and Sarah was mad at him because of what happened. But then I want you to notice the Bible says that, that Hagar, once she was pregnant, she looked at Sarah who was barren, and she looked at Sarah with contempt. The Bible also says that a little while later, after Isaac was born, and he was being weaned, he was, he was a young kid. I don't know how, how old he was, but he was being weaned. And this was more than a year later. The Bible says that Ishmael, the son of Hagar and Abraham, that Ishmael laughed at Isaac with contempt and derision in his heart. And the result of that was, for the second time, Hagar got put out and Ishmael with her. I tell you what, to me, that is the fulfillment of what it says right here in verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and, I will, and, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. I think we ought to support Israel. We ought to be along with them. And I know that people in Israel, a lot of them are unbelievers, but the reality is that we need to, we need to get behind them because there are a number of, of folks who have accepted Christ. Secondly, we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. All this crazy stuff going on, I think about this every day. My sons, some of my kids, maybe a grandson one day, I, these people may end up in, in, in violent conflict over there, and it does my heart no good to, to, to think about that. But the reality is that we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's what Jesus tells us to do. That's what the psalmist tells us to do. Thirdly, we don't need to be fearful. When we see these things happening and, and we can't discern it and we think to ourselves, man, why is this happening? Listen to me. Don't be alarmed. Jesus said this. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. I can't control what happens in this world any more than you can. But I know I can control my Spirit, if I'll just let the Holy Spirit guide me. Don't be alarmed. Trust the Lord. Let me just share with you this. You know, I know that some people say, well, how can you have peace? How can you be at rest? How can you not be alarmed? I can, listen, this is so important. I cannot be alarmed when I understand, number one, my life is hidden with, with Christ. My life is in God, is hidden with Christ in God. I've been bought with a price. I don't belong to myself. I belong to Him. And if God's people will understand that your life, an incredible gift by God, it's not about you. It's about Christ in you. It's about the life that we live and the generation that we have. We can't change the future, but we can go into the future with hope because He is in us and we are with Him and He's promised good to those who love Him. Do y'all hear me this morning? Can you say an Amen. You don't have to walk in fear. Jesus said not to worry about your life. Yes, it might get bad, but listen, we belong to the King of Kings and our hope is secure and heaven is sure and God is going to be with us even in the fire or even in the flood. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. The problem is that sometimes we forget that and sometimes we want to have everything just the way that we want it. And our expectations are right here when God says, my expectations for you are right here. And we just need to get over ourselves and realize we don't have to be fearful. Whatever comes will come. Trust the Lord. Lastly, let me just share this with you. As a result of this, we support Israel. We pray for God's people. Pray for Jerusalem. Pray for everybody in that region. And, and, and for heaven's sakes, not all the people over there are terrorists. Let's understand that. Let's try to be 
kind. Let's try to be generous. Let's pray for them. Let's hope that God will open their eyes. Let's not be fearful. And, And lastly, let's share the faith that we have with others so they have an opportunity to know Christ. Let me share a little bit of a a truth so you'll understand what's going on with the Israeli people right now. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Turn to that quickly. We're almost done. Romans 11, verse 25. Paul now is writing to the Gentiles. And he, he, he wants them to understand that their salvation, they shouldn't be prideful of their salvation. They should be grateful. And here's what he says. Verse 25, Romans 11. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What does that mean? What that means is, for the most part, now the eyes of the Israeli people, the Jewish people, many of them are so hardened they can't see Messiah. Not all of them, because many Jews have accepted Christ as Messiah, but, but right now it's hardened. And notice what it says, this, this blindness, this hardness of heart, it will end when the last of the Gentiles has come in. If I'm to believe the Apostle Paul and I'm to believe that this is the Word of God, then what that means is there coming a day when the last Gentile receives Christ and after that, the nation of Israel will recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So we should share the gospel and see what God does. You can't save anybody, but you can pray and you can lead them to the truth. And then hopefully, though you can't make a horse, you can lead a horse to the, to the water, but you can't make him drink. But hopefully there'll be somebody who will want to drink of the Lord and see that he is good. Well, we're going to continue this series in the days ahead. But I know right now that uh, the most important thing that we can do is have Jesus as our Savior. And then the second thing we can do is make disciples of others. And so... As we have this time of invitation this morning, I want you to ask yourself, do I know the Lord? And am I busy discipling others? Let's pray together and then Pastor Sean is going to lead us in this last song of worship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord God, give us an understanding of what's going on in the world and help us to be a people full of grace and mercy. And Father, I just want to pray for those who may be here that need to know you. Lord God, I pray you would open their hearts up to your love and your truth, that they might receive you, Lord, as their Savior, that they might walk in newness of life and be born from above. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.